This is the Chronicles Podcast, a production of Chronicles Magazine, the original outlet for paleoconservative thought and a bastion of the authentic right in America. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Chronicles Magazine podcast. You may have noticed over the last couple months that we've posted no new episodes. We've been preparing a relaunch of sorts that will start next Friday with a live stream on YouTube and Twitter. We look forward to a slightly different production style as well as a new introduction. But while we wait for next Friday, I wanted to kick off November with a conversation that I had with Paul Gottfried before our changes happened. The conversation is about the U.S. presidency post-World War II from Truman all the way to Carter. I'm excited to have you back and we look forward to our live stream starting next Friday. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of the Chronicles Magazine podcast. I'm here today with Paul Gottfried. We're going to be talking about the post-war presidency. Um, and I know Paul's been involved in um, some of that era of political dynamics, and I think it'll be interesting to get his take, especially on the Nixon presidency and going forward. But let's start before that. Um, Paul, I've heard you say on multiple occasions that um, you know you you did enjoy or you do you are a fan of the Eisenhower administration. Um, so talk a little bit about Eisenhower and maybe some of the differences between him and uh, like Truman or someone. Yeah, uh, I have to say that one of my earliest childhood memories was uh, attending a whistle stop uh, speech given by General Eisenhower, still General Eisenhower at the time. And I still remember his, uh, his sparse hair because he was balding, you know, sort of uh, moving up and down with the rain and the wind as we were standing in the Bridgeport, Connecticut Railroad Station. I don't, I don't remember uh, exactly what he said, but I remember most of the people there liked him. Um, although they were predominantly Irish Catholics, I suppose, who came, and they were probably Democrats, but they vote, They did vote for him. Italian-Americans voted for him um, in, in very large numbers, although they were generally Democrats, at the, less so than the Irish, but they were also Democrats. I... Uh, I remember Eisenhower fondly, not only because he was the president when I was a kid, but also because in retrospect, he seems to have been an extremely capable president for the time in which he lived. Um, he kept the country out of war. The economy was good. It was stable. Uh, it wasn't really boom time, but there was you know, a stable economy. And of course, the United States coming out of the Second World War was the dominant world power. I remember as a kid in the fifth grade, I was sort of looking at these charts of which country produced uh, the most products, uh, or, uh, uh, produced the most, the most manufactured goods of a certain type. And I noticed that the United States produced like everything, steel, iron, anything, anything came from the United States. We, we really were the, the dominant power coming out of that war. In fact, we were the, dom the United States was the dominant power coming out of World War One, and going into World War One. Although most people were not aware of that at the time, <clears throat> um, but the uh, uh, Eisenhower does preside over an age of uh, a kind of America, an, an age in which the American Empire was dominant. In a sense, it was almost like you know living in England under Queen Victoria, mm -hmm. uh, although perhaps, it was, and it was sort of a culturally rich period, which was often not remembered in the 1950s. We had many great writers who were living, many great composers. <clears throat> the, the notion that America was sort of a dull, 
in the 50s was, was a dull conformist age in which everyone, however, was a rabid anti-communist, was nothing that I could possibly remember. It is created basically by leftist academics and the leftist media. Um, it, it was a culturally rich period of time compared to what came afterwards, even the 1960s. Um, but, uh, you know, Eisner, I think, was, was a good president in the age in which he lived. Uh, he was also a gentleman politician, unlike Truman, um, who was uh, a gutter snipe politician who said nasty, vicious things about his political opponents. Um, and uh, who we, even after the Second World War tried to impose price and wage controls. <laughs> Fortunately, he was kept from doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that I, 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 and also I think despite the complaints that were later made that, you know, Eisenhower, uh, was not really a Taft Republican, which I suppose he wasn't. Um, he was conservative. He did very little to expand the welfare state at the time, uh, which, you know, you had left from the New Deal. I think he created like one more department of government was a relatively small department <clears throat> of government. But um, uh, the federal government did not grow very much under him. Taxes were sort of were kept down. Um, so I mean, he was he was not he was not going to uh, undo or rescind the great the the New Deal. That was not going to happen anymore, right? Um, but you know, given the constraints of which he operated, uh, he ran a very conservative administration. Did he kind of run as a centrist? Because Robert Taft was the conservative. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, he was the uh, Taft was the conservative in the sense that he was more of an isolationist. He was. Uh, more critical of NATO certainly mm -hmm. uh, than Eisenhower, um, and he was he was also um, somebody who might have done more to to uh, sort of push back the New Deal. Mm -hmm. uh, although I I don't think I don't think there was a situation that would have allowed that at the time. Uh, you have to remember that the last you know that um, uh, the people who come after Eisenhower. Um, are not going to be conservatives in the mold of Robert Taft. You know, the, uh, uh, the Republicans who run are basically big government Republicans like Rockefeller, Scranton. Uh, the exception, I suppose, would be Goldwater. But, you know, even listening to Goldwater's speeches um, about rolling back the government, they really are not as, uh, as bold as people at the time thought they were. You know, like he suggests that you know, some of Social Security could be uh, could be privatized or things like this, or the Tennessee Valley Association, you know, might be but partly in private. I mean, the things he was saying were, were not as um, uh, as over the top as uh, the media uh, insisted they were. And as even I believed in 1964, listening to the American media, but I think it showed the limits uh, after after Goldwater. No Republican would do anything to touch the New Deal mm -hmm. um, or even, you know, they, they might chip away at the great society programs that Johnson introduces after he takes over the presidency, uh, particularly in the second term after 64. But they were not going to touch anything from the New Deal. And of course, the, the New Deal becomes a sacred cow in the Republican Party. So, you know, you have people like Dole ring, I'm going to keep all your this. And of course, it's the same thing with Trump now, We're going to preserve all these basic programs, entitlement programs. So um, I, you know, I really think that when I saw it, it, it really was no opportunity to rescind the New Deal. I mean, mm -hmm. that was clear. 
And by 1936, when Alpha Landon ran for president, you know, uh, basically as a somewhat more conservative version of, of, of FDR, they were not going to do this. I mean, so I think Eisenhower operated as best he could under the constraints that existed. Um, he did what I think he thought was required in terms of the civil rights movement at the time. He didn't do more, <laughs> and, you know, uh, than he thought was, you know, constitutionally permissible uh, mm -hmm. in, in, this, in uh, the circumstances in which he was operating. Do you think do you think Eisenhower was aware of the budding cultural revolution? Do you think he knew what was going on with the civil rights and where it would lead? Yeah, probably not. Okay. You know, I I I, th I think he's basically a, a man of an earlier period of time. Right. You know, um and uh you know, the, the civil rights meant, you know, sort of allowing everybody to use the same facilities mm -hmm. if you're black or white. <laughs> you know, I mean he, he understood that, you know, in in very simple terms. Mm -hmm. uh, something else about Eisenhower, although he was a Republican, uh, he really was not a person associated with one party or the other. I think in some ways he stood above party. He also was very sympathetic, if you remember, to Robert E. Lee, whose statue he kept in his Oval Office. He was his favorite American. Mm. And he even had an argument with uh, Field Marshal uh, Montgomery, who had been his uh, colleague in World War II, when Montgomery made a statement that he would have sacked Lee after the loss of the Battle of Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, he, he, he moved to Gettysburg. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, he was very sympathetic to the Confederate side in the Civil War, Republican though he was. Um, although so there are contradictions. He was a general who came from a, uh, a German Anabaptist home, you know, mm -hmm. fought against the Germans twice in, in, in World Wars. Um, but he was... Uh, he was a very capable leader. And uh, uh, I think, you know, he was sort of, he, he was a moderate for his time. And I think a moderate probably in the best sense. Uh, did your family vote for Eisenhower or were they Democrats? Or I, I doubt that. I think at the time they were still Democrats. Okay. They later became Republicans. Uh, and my father, my father was a very right-wing Democrat. Mm -hmm. You know, he thought George Wallace was fine or this, you know, kind of blue-collar Democrat. Uh, my mother later became uh, a staunch Republican. And I think my, my father in his later years always voted Republican. Was Eisenhower pretty popular? I mean, did, did people like him? Did they enjoy his presidency? He was enormously popular, although his party was not. Mm -hmm. The Republicans keep taking drubbings, you know, in congressional elections in 52 and 50, 56. They lose badly. Uh, it was a lot of seats, but he wins overwhelmingly you know, in the election. So his popularity seems to transcend uh, party affiliation. Okay. Why did he choose Nixon as his vice president? Uh, Nixon had many advantages. For one thing, uh, he was known to be a staunch anti-communist. And that was, that was very important uh, back then in the 50s because the Republicans were strongly anti-communist party. Um, Eisenhower was critical of McCarthy and we think went too far. Um, but then he had Nixon on his side and Nixon at one time did have good relations with McCarthy and was a bona fide anti-communist. So he sort of protects himself against the charge that he's soft on communism mm -hmm. by appointing Nixon. Um, Nixon was also a very moderate Republican. He was never in the right wing of the party. Right. He was always a centrist Republican, but you know, he was outspokenly anti-communist. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think the same thing may have been true of Joe McCarthy, who I don't think was a very far right Republican, but, you know, sort of made a name for himself as an anti-communist. Yeah. Um, uh, then also, also, I don't think Eisenhower saw Nixon as anyone who had threatened his position. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a much younger man. Um, and, uh, you know, he was recently, he was elected, uh, was elected senator in, in uh, recently elected as a senator in California, even congressman earlier. Um, and, you know, he seemed, he seemed to be a very, very sensible pick. Uh, and, he, you know, he was a very loyal Republican, so he'd work for the party. He was a loyal Republican in the way that Eisenhower was not. I mean, Eisenhower really had no uh, history of being, you know, of association with the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Democrats tried to recruit him as a candidate. Uh, <clears throat> so um, uh, so what Nixon does is really, uh, I might say, sort of... Uh, uh, re-establish strong bonds or consolidate bonds with the Republican Party as an as a uh, as an institution, which I don't think Eisenhower had in 1952. Although he's a very popular figure, he's a popular general, popular figure, and either party would have probably been willing to nominate him. Mm-hmm. Um, why did the neoconservatives not like Eisenhower? That's an interesting question, <laughs> and I think it's cultural and social. Uh, the uh, I I, th- I think in their minds, sort of given their social background, Eisenhower is sort of a uh, an alien Gentile from flyover country mm. in a way that some of these other candidates were not. I mean, Reagan, they, they liked because they, they all worked for Reagan. He was their friend, they gave him jobs and so forth. But but Eisenhower really had no social relations with that group. You know, mm-hmm. these were Eastern European Jews living in New York or Chicago or L.A. or something. And they really, really didn't relate to him. Uh, another thing, he was not really a crusader. He did write a book, Crusade, you know, uh, in Europe about World War II. But he was not a crusader, uh, you know, and he the Nazis were very bad people and they were aggressors and you had to fight against them and so forth. But it really had no, none of this, you know, global democratic enthusiasm or anything like that. Um, and I think in their minds, he's somebody more in the mold of Calvin Coolidge than mm. Ronald Reagan or Harry Truman, whom they also like, you know, and they also like FDR. Truman I mean, w- was tr- are really New Deal, they're New Deal Democrats, you know, so. Was Truman uh, a crusader? I, excuse me? Would you call Truman more of a crusader? Yeah, he used more of the kind of a language about, you know, standing up for democracy. He was, you know, he used more progressive language. Uh, once he became president, this was not true earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then, remember, he also recognized the state of Israel, which is another reason neocons would like him. Right. Uh, there's right. nothing to suggest that he was, you know, an effusive philo-Semite, but he did recognize the state of Israel, probably for political reasons in 1948. But, they, you know, they... Uh, this made him extremely popular with Zionists within. Then, of course, Stalin also recognizes Israel right after Truman does. You have the two major powers, mm-hmm. you know, standing behind Israel. <clears throat> Was did did Truman have um, you know more of an FDR vision? Was he friendly with Stalin? He is initially, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, he's sort of a. I think he's a slow learner. Um, I mean, he, he sort of ends up taking a strong stand in 1947. By the way, there's nothing to suggest that Truman in his background was pro-communist. Um, 
in, in fact, he was someone who opposed Lindley's to the uh, to the Russians, you know, before the United States entered World War II. Uh, he was very anti-com, and he, he always said, you know, Hitler was as bad, Stalin was as bad as Hitler. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, he really comes out of this um, uh, non-Eastern democratic establishment. You know, he's from Missouri, which is, you know, really a border state. His family uh, and his wife's family had been, I think, on the side of the Confederacy in the Civil War. So, you know, he's he, he really is it's not somebody who comes out of the left or is soft on the communists. He just seems to be a very slow learner, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it takes him a long time to understand how dangerous the Soviet Union is. Um, he, he pretty pretty much is surrounded by the advisors that Franklin Roosevelt leaves him, although he does have a falling out with uh, with Morgenthau, Henry Morgenthau, who had been very soft on the, on, on the Russians. Mm -hmm. Did, did Eisenhower, um, I mean, obviously he ran as sort of a moderate, wouldn't touch the New Deal, New Deal but did he um, did he realize, you know, the extent to which, you know, FDR was surrounded by, uh, you know, Soviet plants and all of that? Yeah, I think he did. Um, I think probably Truman did. He just, you know, is a slow learner. Um, mm -hmm. But you have to remember that, you know, uh, Eisenhower spends a lot of time trying to dampen enthusiasm in the Republican Party, you know, for going after all these plans in the Roosevelt administration. There also was another problem, which a lot of the anti-communists of the 1950s who associate with the Republican Party, like the uh, founders of National Review, seemed to put out of their mind that the Republican Party was every bit as soft on the communists as the Democrats were. <laughs> they didn't object at all. In fact, most of the warnings against the Soviets came from the Democratic Party. Republicans mm -hmm. were like brain dead for most of that war. Yeah. And then after the war, they opportunistically jump on this on this anti-communism. You know, and I say this, I'm being, I'm being fair uh, uh, to both sides. And I, I would have gladly voted for Eisenhower in 1952 and so forth. Uh, and I was happy to see the Republicans get back into power. But um, a lot of the anti-communist communism is hypocritical that's coming mm -hmm. from the Republicans. And some of them just overdo this. I mean, they try to turn this into, uh, you know, the only issue, the way their Democrats right now are using LGBT BLM rhetoric, you know, to uh, to win elections. Right. Do you do you think that uh, how would you compare Eisenhower to someone like Hoover? I mean, after World War Two, I think Hoover began to realize that generally big mistakes were made and America was going down a dangerous path. Do you think Eisenhower is comparable at all to Hoover? Well, uh, Hoover has a number of different political uh, uh, incarnations. Um, Hoover was, was, a, was, a, was a Republican progressive, but also a Wilsonian. Mm. One of his books he wrote was on the ordeal of Woodrow Wilson defending him in the 1930s. Um, and although he was a Quaker and was not very happy about war, he did, uh, you know, support American war, uh, war effort in World War One, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, was uh, was strongly in favor, you know, of the Allied side. That's pretty clear. Um, but then later on in his career, he becomes an isolationist, like right. in the nineteen thirties. Right. Um, after the Second World War, I, th I think he is, becomes probably more of an interventionist uh, uh, than he had been than he had been before the war. 
um, but uh, not 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 as much of a. I, I think he pretty much remains within the the Taft mold, although he didn't start that way. You know, like he he is he is progressive Republican in his early career, mm-hmm. uh, Hoover, <clears throat> and um, most of the attacks on him that come from New Deal Democrats are entirely false. I mean, that he went through anything and they just sat by with Arthur Schlesinger. He sits by and watches people starve. And so I think he had all kinds of pump priming um, uh, plans that, that he put had to put into operation. The question is, how effective were they? You know, and I remember Murray Rothbard wrote this book on all the wrong things done. That, and I think there is certain truth in the stuff that, you know, that, that a lot of the spending was just bad. <laughs> Right and and cause other problems, but it begins under Hoover, not at not under FDR. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I mean, Hoover in into the uh, or even even into the Depression, into his presidency, remains a kind of progressive Republican. Later, he becomes more conservative. Right. <clears throat> yeah, uh, he was also, by the way, a a personal friend of Harry Truman. Okay. Uh, they went, uh, which many people don't appreciate. Although the Republican Party continued to, uh, the Democrats rather, continued to run against Herbert Hoover till I was in midlife or something. <laughs> right. I remember growing up that uh, any Republican was Hoover and you're going to get a depression. Right. That's yeah. What I heard as a kid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to cause, COVID didn't cause the depression, but any, any Republican will be like Hoover and cause the depression. I heard this many, many times from, uh, Cradle Democrats. I mean, mm-hmm. this was this was very common when a very mm-hmm. common complaint against Republicans when I was growing up. During the Eisenhower administration, was immigration on the radar yet of conservatives? Um, not really. I think the Democrats pushed a little bit harder for that. Remember, you had the the seller Manuel Seller pushing the uh, immigration. He was always pushing this in um, in Congress. He was a Democrat. Um, I, I don't, there, 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 there were some Republicans like, uh, there was one of them was a set from Nevada who was a very, very critical of immigration, but this was not a big Republican issue at the mm-hmm. time. Okay. And you have to remember that a lot of the, a lot of the people giving money to the Republican party just wanted cheap labor. Right. So, I mean, okay, well, you know, the, the notion that Republicans are xenophobic and all that immigrants come in is very, very far from the truth. It's exactly the opposite mm-hmm. of what the reality was. So, uh, but uh, the Democrats sort of join, sort of jump on the, the pro-immigration bandwagon. Um, originally, not because they want people to come in from the third world. It's because they have a large block of Jews, ethnic Catholics voting for them who have relatives left over in Europe, right? Right, right. They want to come over. So, I mean, they're thinking of bringing in more people from Europe. Mm. Uh, they're not particularly interested in bringing people from, from South America or someplace like that. So m- m- most of this um, enthusiasm for immigration and we're not going to be bigoted and we let everybody come in was aimed at was aimed even then at picking up democratic votes, but democratic votes from people who'd be coming in from Europe. <clears throat> right. Let's talk about. Uh, let's move forward to JFK a little bit. Was he seen as a very liberal candidate at the time? Strangely enough, he was. Mm-hmm. He was in, in retrospect, he was, but he was seen that way. And you have all the usual liberal types, you know, gilding the lily for him. I remember, you know, when he ran for president in 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 nineteen. Uh, 
1960, they were very enthusiastic. I mean, with people like Kenneth Galbraith and Arthur Schlesinger and others, and the New York Post, which was then a liberal democratic paper, how wonderful this man is, you know, and he's going to bring back the new, and he's just like Franklin Roosevelt, and we're going to go back to the New Deal under him and so forth. Um, He did add to the size of government, he increased the the cabinet and spent more money and so forth. Um, But I I think he's best remembered for is he's very much of a cold warrior. He's very confrontational with the Russians. Although not enough for some Republicans who are even more confrontational, you know, and never never forgave him for negotiating with Khrushchev in Vienna or something like that. Leo Strauss, I think, the, uh, the political uh, theorist, you know, uh, uh, said he, he would never, he, he couldn't vote Democratic again after Kennedy made concessions he, uh, uh, to Khrushchev in Vienna. Before that, he had been a Mm-hmm. Diehard Democrat, I guess. Then he voted for um, for Goldwater in 1964. So for some Republicans, you know, this was a sort of a sellout. But in retrospect, Kennedy certainly seems to be, you know, a passionate uh, opponent of the of the Soviets mm-hmm. and of communist expansion. <clears throat> what would people like Buckley and you know the the coming conservative movement? You know, what what is their take on JFK? Well, I mean, it, it would seem to be as part of the establishment which does not want to roll back the Iron Curtain and just wants to make some kind of agreement with the Soviets in the end. They were fierce uh, interventionist <clears throat> at, at National Review. Right. And uh, I, one of the arguments I've made in my books in the conservative movement, that the, the people they go after um, are not the people Buckley later claims to be going after who are, you know, right-wing racist anti-Semites. They are Jewish libertarians. He kicks out of the because <laughs> they oppose his foreign policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wisely so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although some of them really were, you know, absolute isolationists like Murray Rothbard. But, uh, you know, they, uh, they were always uh, willing to, you know, drop bombs, do anything you want. I mean, you have to go back and read some of these issues of National Review, which even back then when I was a movement conservative uh, uh, zealot, you know, sort of sort of got to me. I thought they were over yeah. the top <laughs> when it came to foreign policy. <laughs> what do you think about um, Kennedy's relationship to the containment in the Soviet Union and the expansion of communism? Like, what, what do you make of it? Well, he was just not very successful. And I think at the end of the day, he's inept. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think I don't think you say that, you know, he lacked zeal. Uh, but, uh, you know, he uh, he obviously messed up with the Cuban missile crisis. A former student of mine wrote a book on this, Alan J. Levine, uh, showing to what extent Khrushchev really did plan <laughs> how to use Cuba. Um to go after the United States and possibly to launch, you know, a bombing attack. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, uh, I, th- I think it's clear that um, JFK and his brother Bobby were sort of out of their element, mm-hmm. you know, in trying to understand exactly what the what the Soviets were doing there. Um, he obviously messed up badly with the Bay of Pig. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 th- I think you get the impression from looking at his administration that it's not ideology because he's clearly anti-communist but uh it's uh his his inept performance that i think is the problem he doesn't uh uh he doesn't handle the soviet threat very effectively and um 
he doesn't really deal well, well with the Cuban Missile Crisis either. And the Bay of Pigs thing was an utter fiasco. Right. Uh, <laughs> by the way, since we're talking about him, what do you think about Kennedy, you know, his dad, Joseph Kennedy? Uh, he was an ambassador to Britain during World War II. You know, wh yeah. what do you think about you know his his role in in World War II? Well, I think he was clearly uh, in favor of Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, he hates the British, mm -hmm. you know, and <clears throat> I mean, people give you all kinds of uh, personal reasons that they were Irish Catholics who were excluded from, you know, uh, Wasp Country Clubs. <laughs> All the, the kind of stuff you see about Jews, right? They're angry at the Christians. They exclude them from country club. <laughs> so you get the same thing with Joe, except he goes to the other side politically, mm -hmm. not the crazy left, the crazy right. <laughs> and uh, you see, you see this in his. Uh, this is this is this is one explanation. Um, the uh, uh, clearly, clearly, I don't think his, his children necessarily followed the same path, <clears throat> and they were. Uh, they were avid pro-British interventionists, mm -hmm. um, but uh, he he, uh, he he seemed he seemed to lean very strongly toward uh, toward Nazi Germany. Uh, yeah. Before and um, uh, I don't know. I think he I think he was ambassador to the court of St James during the Battle of Britain. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. <clears throat> yeah, um, it is fascinating because it, it does seem like his father was more of a right winger compared to Kennedy, and especially what Kennedy supposedly represents, which is a leftward shift in American politics. Well, I don't know. The, the, the Kennedys do engage in this left-wing shift, particularly if you look at uh, at Teddy Kennedy, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but they also are all they're all over the place. Um, the Kennedys were close friends of Joe McCarthy, and Ke I, I think it was Bobby Kennedy sort of got, got to start working on Joe McCarthy's committee. Mm -hmm. I and mean, they were all Irish Catholics, you know, and they were anti-communist. Uh, that was sort of de rigueur for the period of time. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think they are, uh, they begin by going to the left. I, I think, I think a part of their Irish Catholic Boston identity is being democratic. All these mm -hmm. people are Democrats. <clears throat> well, uh, where, where they go is to, it, it depends on later circumstances. Um, in the, in the case of Teddy Kennedy and his movement toward the left, uh, I, 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 as I argue in one of my recent columns for uh, editorials in Chronicles, uh, the Democratic Party at a certain point decides to support the radicals, right? Um, as, as opposed to, you know, the, uh, the Irish Catholic working class or the Southern whites or the others who are in the party. Mm -hmm. They make an alliance with the blacks and they make an alliance with Jewish liberals and others who are on the left. And this becomes a binding alliance, and it has actually allowed the Democratic Party to become a majority party as the country has become radicalized, right? <clears throat> and the Kennedy family just seems to move with them. Mm. So I, I don't think you can say that, you know, the Kennedy family radicalizes the country. They, um, the Irish Catholics who stay in the Democratic Party just move to the left, right? Like... Uh, uh, like our Senator Robert Casey Jr. or or Chris Dodd, whose father was a very conservative Democrat. Hmm. They just moved to the left. That's where the party is going to go. If you want to stay in the party, you're going to have to be a very awoke left-wing Democrat. So they, they do this. <clears throat> and I think Teddy Kennedy just moves in that direction because that's where the party is going, you know, from the mid-1960s on. So uh, I don't think the Kennedys push the Democratic Party left. They just go with the Democratic Party.
Do you think Johnson helped push the Democratic Party more left? Yeah, I, I, I think he plays that role, but I think it's, you know, but then it's a done thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you me- remember uh, Lyndon Johnson starts as a segregationist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he voted against laws to limit lynching and stuff like that. Um, but the party, I think, had sort of, the, the die had been cast by the mid-1960s. Okay, and you know he simply goes in the direction in which the Democratic Party is going to move thereafter. Um, now it doesn't do this all at once. Like obviously Hubert Humphrey is more conservative than uh, <clears throat> I don't know Kamala Harris or somebody there now, but you know the the party does take a leftward turn on social cultural issues. Before that, the Democratic Party was to the left on New Deal sorts of things. You also had people who are in the party, but they're sort of marginal, who are sympathetic to the communists, but they're mm-hmm. marginal mm-hmm. Um, outside of New York City. <clears throat> um, but the uh, the party on social cultural issues is probably at least as conservative as the Republican, maybe more so. Mm-hmm. What they do at, from the mid-1960s on is jump all the way into left field on right. every issue. Remember, the, the, the first liberal... Um, pro-abortion uh, laws come from New York and California, right. from Rockefeller and uh, uh, and Ronald Reagan in California. I mean, the Southern Democrats have always been more conservative than the establishment Republicans. Oh, and, absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a book by um, Carl Oglesby, and I think Murray Rothbard referenced it several times, and he talks about the Johnson and Kennedy dynamic is sort of a, a, a war between what he called the, uh, you know, the, the Cowboys versus the Yankees. Um, what do you, do you see any truth in that dynamic? No, <laughs> not really. Much. <laughs> okay. Uh, because he, I yeah. mean, he's, he saw Johnson as sort of representative of the Sunbelt, you know, the rise of the Sunbelt politicians. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I think they, they both, they represent traditional democratic constituencies. So you get the, you know, the, the Irish Catholic machine politicians in the North, and then you get, you know, the uh, the white Protestants in the South. You know, <laughs> this is the backbone. And the group that generally drives it to the left are sort of the uh, the New York Jewish liberals, or, you know, some group like that, which are still, you know, in, in power, I think total power, but together with the Blacks. And the Blacks are pretty marginal. Mm-hmm. You know, they... Uh, the blacks will vote Democratic since ni- from 1936 on. Before mm-hmm. that, they were strongly Republican because of social welfare programs. It is mm-hmm. not because of the civil rights. The Republicans were more liberal, actually, on civil rights questions. Right, right, right. And so do you think Johnson um, you know, had much more fealty to FDR's vision? Was he a crusader? No, I mean, he, he is a New Deal Democrat, but then mm-hmm. so is George Wallace. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're all New Deal Democrats, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and, and FDR is a hero to all these people. I mean, he, he he is not the villain of the conservative movement who sold out to the commies. He right. is somebody who is one of their own, you know, is a populist reformer who's, uh, you know, sharing the wealth with uh, with these poor Democratic voters. Johnson is seen as sort of like the civil rights movement. I mean, he, he presided over that, whole, you know, the majority of that era, but he doesn't seem like someone who culturally has the same background as what the, no. the cultural right, civil rights were focused on. So was he kind of just forced into some of those situations? Yeah, I, I, I always, there's a book by Benjamin Ginsburg called The Fatal Alliance, 
um, I think it's Fateful. I, I think it's Fatal. I, there's another book on there called The Fatal Alliance by George Kennan. But it, it's one in which he looks at the transformation of the Democratic Party because of Jewish liberals in the late 1960s. And he shows them bringing the blacks. And the party is going to be totally transformed. And they bring in the professor academics and so forth. And I don't think Johnson is really at the forefront of anything. He's just doing, you know, what others in the party have decided to do by then. And of course, some of it is uh, the program which JFK wanted to implement. Right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but uh, it has it done much more vigorously and much more thoroughly. Um, and, uh, you know, we know that, that JFK on civil rights questions generally dragged his feet. Mm -hmm. uh, he did whatever was necessary. Uh, he and his brother had profound distrust, by the way, of Martin Luther King. Um, but, uh, you know, J J Johnson has sort of made this commitment to go with the, you know, the civil rights crusaders, the, the, the northern liberal reformers of the time and so forth. He obviously does not come from the same culture. Right. And uh, th this is clear, you know, if you read the, uh, what is that large biography? It's about Dalek has this three volume biography. I've read part of it. And you see he comes from a very different culture um, than, uh, than, than, than the one that he has to embrace once he becomes president. Yeah. Um, uh, you could say, you know, after he's elected in 1964 against Goldwater, whom he depicts, of course, as Democrats always do, pick Republicans, they're racist, they're this, whatever you're supposed to say. Uh, you know, he kind of just uh, put his, his foot on the, uh, on the brake and said, you know, we have enough. But I don't think he was in any position. I think he's just pushed in this direction by the media, um, by, the, uh, by the zealots in his, in his own party. And the party itself was changing by then. What did Johnson want? Was he was he more for personal power or did he have some ideological vision? I think he wanted personal power. He comes across I don't, in I don't, see him, I don't see him ever buying into right. Yeah. He comes and across as Kennedy as being, you know, a crusading it's like someone like Humphrey is very definitely, you know, had committed himself. Uh uh, he was a you know a hero of the Americans for Democratic Action. He was a civil rights champion in his time and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I don't. I th but then he comes from a very different culture. Although he comes when he comes from Minnesota, Humphrey, um, where you have the the farm. What is it? The Farmer Workers Party or something? The uh, who are sort of the very liberal Democrats. You know, mm -hmm. already control state politics. Um, and Humphrey was always very congenial for the for the, the Democratic reformers in this period. Right. Uh, although, although in although in 1968, uh, he loses at least part of that luster because he identifies himself with the, with the old party establishment. 68 is sort of interesting because most of the old party establishment, right, the people who had run the Democratic Party before, um, get behind Humphrey. Mm. It's the ones who get behind Kennedy and Gene McCarthy who are going to be taking over the party. Mm -hmm. right? And in 72, they, they nominate uh, uh, George McGovern. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right. And that's when the neocons begin to shift over as well. Yes. Neocons have play, a, play a kind of double game. Some of them stay in the Democratic Party and vote for McGovern, um, like Nathan Glazer. Um, 
<clears throat> Daniel Bell, others, some of them then shift over into the Republican Party. I've, I've always thought, having seen a letter that uh, <laughs> sent by Daniel Bell <laughs> to somebody, a copy of which was sent to me, that this was, this, I think it was sent to Irving Crystal, it was a plan, I have a copy, it was a plan to uh, have neoconservative power in both parties. Mm, right. They, they, they move more decidedly into the Republican Party later. Um, what do the so, neo what do the neocons think of Johnson? Um, they, they're sort of mildly critical later, like in the 1980s. You know, you get them uh, uh, putting out a magazine called The Social Interest, <clears throat> in which they're sort of criticizing, and even in commentary, they're criticizing the effects of some of the social programs introduced by Johnson. At the time, they were not very critical, <clears throat> okay? And the position from which they come is not that these programs are generally bad, but they could be administered in a more fiscally responsible fashion. Okay, right. Right. At uh, So in the 60s, were you yet involved in politics during the Johnson administration? Yeah. <laughs> no, my politics were... What were your I was politics? A I was a Rockefeller Republican. Rockefeller Republican. I was a very liberal Republican. Okay, so what did you think of Nixon when, when he came about? Well, in 1960, I would have voted for him against Kennedy. I didn't I didn't particularly like the uh, the Democratic machine in New England, having grown up in southern New England um, under a uh, a vassal of the Kennedy family, <clears throat> Bailey, who ran the Democratic machine in Connecticut. So I, I did favor Nixon in 1960. Mm -hmm. In 64, I really disliked Goldwater. I thought he was going to bomb everybody and he was going to do terrible things. <clears throat> but since, you know, uh, all these crazy academics were going to vote for Johnson, I landed up reluctantly voting for Goldwater. Mm -hmm. uh, in 68, um, although I, I had been a Rockefeller Scranton supporter before, uh, in 1968, I was all for Richard Nixon. I thought he was exactly the person you wanted in the White House. And of course, as you know, later on, I became, you know, a young buddy of, of Nixon after he was president, mm -hmm. right. head of the fan club. So and I did it with him many times, but uh, and I like he was an extremely smart man, although right. not a particularly appealing uh, politician. Mm -hmm. And you know, you somehow tongue-tied once you put him in front of a camera. But he was extremely smart and had read lots of books and uh, was extremely eloquent, you know, in a small group. Um, <clears throat> but I was all for him in 1968. What did Nixon see himself like? Uh, you know, what, what were what was he? What was his agenda? What were some of the things going on in the world that Nixon saw as most important for his presidential uh, ambitions? He was always interested in one thing uh, to the exclusion of just about everything else. He was interested in foreign policy, about which he knew a great deal. Mm. You know, I mean, he was I, I, I've always compared him to John Quincy Adams, um, who, who was not a brilliant president, but was a brilliant secretary of state. Nixon would have been a brilliant secretary, even more so than Kissinger. Was he a Kennan uh, fan? Oh, yeah. 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 No, he was he had a very realistic understanding of, of world defense. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, Although he had made a career as an anti-communist, he was quite willing to negotiate with communists, you know, mm -hmm. 
And his view was, you know, I don't, I don't want them running anything in the United States, but you know, if they're the head of a foreign government, <laughs> you know, what, what the heck, yeah. I'll just go and negotiate with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was seen, of course, by the neocons as being profoundly amoral, right? Because of his approach to to foreign policy. <clears throat> but you know, he was very much of a realist, and you know, you negotiate with the people on the opposite side, and he did not like, you know. Uh, talking about human rights, crusades for democracy. I think he was he was he was nauseated when you brought up those things. Okay, so he had more conservative instincts. Yes, for sure. Absolutely, they were all conservative, and he was a great fan of Thomas Hobbes. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> he liked Leviathan. <laughs> it's 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 funny that you say that because I just think of like Trump or or Biden or someone like that reading or even knowing who Thomas Hobbes is. It's hilarious. Well, you know, I wrote a piece for National Review on Hobbes and Nixon. Uh-huh. Uh, discussing my man saying that uh, how he was praising Hobbes. <laughs> I said, anyone who praises Hobbes is going to get my vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is when Pat Buchanan really began his um, involvement in politics was during the Nixon era. Do you think that was sort of a moment of conservative revival after the 60s? <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think it was, but, uh, you know, Nixon never had any sympathy for Buchanan's presidential ambitions. Interesting. And I, I remember being, uh, I remember when Nixon ran um, uh, ran for the presidency, uh, the first the first time that he ran, when was that? It was in 1992, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I had recently seen Nixon, and um, I met... Um, Buchanan in Philadelphia, where he was campaigning, and he said, "You know, um, I bet the old man really uh, is not in favor of my running." I said, "Pat, you're right." <laughs> why? Why do you think that is? Why is that? Um, he didn't think he was going to win. Mm -hmm. You know, even if he got the nomination, and they would simply give the presidency to the uh, to the Democrats which he thought would be worse. He did not like the Bush family at all. <laughs> but, you know, he was the guy who was there who probably was going to win. And whomever the Democrats would run, you know, would run against him would probably be a lot worse. What did what did Nixon think of Reagan? Um, <clears throat> he, he liked him personally. Mm -hmm. You know, he knew Reagan, um, you know, and he thought he was he was a competent president. He had nothing critical to say about him and all the, you know, the times that I'm spoke to to Nixon. Uh, immigration was starting to become a major issue um, during Nixon's administration. Do you think he knew what was happening yet? I don't think it was a big issue. Oh, you at, don't? At okay. For him. Um, and of course, we're talking about the, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. Right. Um, and if you remember the, uh, the, the most uh, significant uh, Amnesty Act is going to be enacted by uh, by by Ronald Reagan, right? In the second term, so by so, it, <laughs> so so immigration was much more of a topic in the late eighties then than in the seventies. Yeah, and I think even later than that. Oh, later than that. Okay, right, right. Because you know Reagan was not violently opposed when he passed his amnesty, mm -hmm. his amnesty act. Um, so and people were willing to accept this at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in the 1990s it becomes a problem, and for Republicans, I think it's a problem because uh, there's a conflict between what their donors want, which is more cheap labor, mm -hmm. and something the Bush family, of course, would be in favor of, uh, and um, 
what uh, what their cultural conservatives <coughs> uh, might want, um, who would generally would not favor immigration, at least not from the third world. Mm-hmm. So I think this conflict emerges in the 1990s. It emerges very clearly. It may have been foreshadowed by earlier events, but I think it becomes significant by the 1990s. <clears throat> Do you think the media's assault on Nixon's you know, character is analogous to what's going on with Trump in the media, or especially in 2016? <clears throat> No, I think it's very different. Okay. Um, I think they hate Nixon because much of the media was anti-anti-communist or pro-communist. Okay. And this is one of the things we don't talk about often enough. Through most of my life, people on the left that I knew were sympathetic to the communists. The most of the people I knew who opposed the Vietnam War, which I, th- I agree was it was a uh, reckless involvement by the United, but most people opposed it were pro-communist, at least mm-hmm. the ones that I met. <clears throat> and we, we, we don't want to discuss this. On the other hand, people, you know, who opposed the American um, involvement in World War II, America first people, were not pro-Nazi. They just didn't want to get involved in the war. But the people who were um, uh, anti-anti-communist or against the post were all pro-communist. <laughs> I never, you know, I know that there were people on the left who were anti-communists. This is always called to my attention by some of my uh, colleagues of my generation. But most of the ones I met were very, very obviously Mm pro-communist. I mean, it's like saying that, you know, you could be pro-Nazi without being an anti-Semite. It's just as unlikely, you know, to happen. And I do remember most of these people were, you know, on the left were pro-communist. And they hated Nixon because he made a career as an anti-communist. Mm-hmm. That's why they hated Nixon. It's as simple as that. You know, some things are just too simple. As well, you know, he was a dirty politician. Compared to, to Truman, he was, you know, uh, he, he was a, a pure, you know, pure okay. uh, saintly politician. I mean, were Demo- Roosevelt was a filthy politician. But if they liked <laughs> you, it wasn't that bad. Right. Nixon, Nixon was anti-communist. He made his career, his early career, out of being an anti-communist. And even though later on he tried to make peace with the communists, they never forgave him for his anti-communism. As far mm-hmm. and I know people may dispute this, but the, but this this is my read, <clears throat> looking at Nixon, looking at his career, looking at someone like Daniel Shore, who came from a communist background, his family could never forgive Nixon. He mm-hmm. hated Nixon because Nixon was an anti-communist, and probably in the anti-communist in Shore's mind meant a pro-Nazi and anti-Semite, all kinds of other things. So people, most of the media, once it had moved to the, the, the those who became fanatically anti-Nixon tended to be, um, to come from pro-communist or anti-anti-communist backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And he made a, and you know, if you were, if you were anti-Nazi, that was great, but he was anti-communist. He had also yeah. been anti-Nazi, but that doesn't count. Right. So <clears throat> he also defended the House on American Activities Committee, which uncovered people who were communist collaborators or people who were security risk or things like that. <clears throat> there really was a, a polarization at the time. And most people on the left were sympathetic to the communist or were anti-anti-communist. And Nixon was on the anti-communist. That is something that uh, that Bill Buckley got right. Mm-hmm. And National Steel got right. Mm-hmm. I think they understood the people on the other side very, very well. It's something Irving Crystal said, you know, that uh, 
Memkari Crystal made a famous remark that uh, we, we know where Joe McCarthy stands, but I'm not quite sure where the anti-McCarthy's people stand, by which he meant <laughs> a lot of these people, they were pro-communist. It's exactly the case. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't have a short memory and I'm not I'm not a, you know, a reckless interventionist. And I did not like all the anti-communist interventionism. Of, but I understand what the other side is like. And the accusation that they're pro-communist is correct most of the time. And Nixon is an anti-communist they didn't like. Now, in the case of Trump, they don't like him because he is spoiling their game. Right. The left wants control everywhere here, Germany, Canada. The media is the same. They just speak in different languages. Mm -hmm. And here this guy comes along and starts attacking the fake media. And, you know, he doesn't do very much. He doesn't, you know, in power, he's just pretty much of a regular Republican, although he does impose tariffs on the Chinese. But it's his rhetoric they don't like. <clears throat> you know, they, 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 of course, they'll call, you know, McCain or Jeb Bush a, a racist, a sexist. This is they thought everybody. But they don't really hate them the way they hate Trump. Mm -hmm. Because Trump is like standing in their way. By the way, I, I, people know I'm not a, a Trump enthusiast. I don't like Donald Trump. I think he's, uh, he's a loud mouth. He uh, speaks incoherently very often. Uh, uh, he's an egomaniac. But uh, looking at him historically, I think his role is valuable. Sure. Because he, he stood up to a very dangerous, indeed totalitarian establishment in, in this country and throughout the Western world. Mm -hmm. which has replaced constitutional government with this leftist mind control. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they don't like him for that reason. Uh, but it's not because he's an anti-communist. Right. Uh, but, but I think in both cases, they associate their targets with the right. Mm -hmm. But Nixon is an anti-communist. This man is a populist Nazi or something like that. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you pick up the British Guardians, exactly what they say, or you pick up the... Um, uh, the the German uh, Tageszeitung or something. It's exactly what they say about about uh, Trump. He's a Nazi. Was Nixon aware of, uh, especially in Europe and Germany and France at the time, uh, just the like the de-Europeanization de of, of Europe, um, just the politics of guilt and multiculturalism? Was Nixon aware of those things on the horizon? Not particularly. <clears throat> he was not against it. People, mm -hmm. but you know, he pretty much belongs to an older generation. He's sort of like George Kennan, yeah. Although Kennan is aware of these things, Kennan is much more interesting, of an ideological conservative, mm -hmm. although he's also a non interventionist in, in most cases. <clears throat> but if you read Kennan, you know, he's a man of the right, right? Um, in the, in the case of Nixon, he is he has very conservative instincts when it comes to foreign policy, although he doesn't really understand the domestic situation as well. Um, and he has he has a very uh, a very Augustinian or Hobbesian view of human nature, you know, right. speaking. But but he does not um, uh, he, he's not aware of the threat of multiculturalism. And you know, most of his career it's just it's not that it's not that big a thing. Right. I mean has there any has there been any president that's really emphasized that aspect of the of the left? <clears throat> Not, not really. That I, not that I can think of. You certainly don't get any of this with Reagan. Right. You get the America's back again. It's springtime. <laughs> they just they didn't see any of it. They didn't see any of it coming. Right. I mean, the conservative movement didn't see it. No. 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 
th then you have to say nice things about the United States <clears throat> and the people who are bad, you know, hate the country and say bad things about it. <clears throat> Whether they're on the right or left, they're bad. <laughs> right. Do you think Nixon um, saw his presidency as, as uh, it, regretfully or do you think he was, you know, happy with his own um, efforts? No, I, I think I think he was sort of unhappy. I think he was unhappy because the country was not going in a direction that he wanted. Um, and, you know, I, th I think in some ways he sees the 1950s, except for the communist problem, as being sort of a golden age, mm -hmm. you know, sort of starting out. And I don't think he liked very much what was happening. <clears throat> but I don't think so multiculturalism is an enemy at the time. Right. Nor did, nor did I, <laughs> you know, right. back then. Do you think he do you think he died like sad about the state of the country? Yeah, I, I think so. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we'll go into the last couple of minutes here because uh, you've already been on for an hour. But I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> by the time by the time Ford gets into office in the 70s, um, were you still pro Rockefeller Republican? Um, I think I remain very much of a centrist Republican until maybe 1976. Okay. And when I back, uh, when I back Reagan um, against, uh, I think of whom, whom they were running then in 1976, 1976 uh, the, uh, oh yeah, Carter, obviously. <clears throat> but there was an insurgency, a Reagan insurgency against, uh, uh, at the time, which I, which I backed. You know, I thought he was, I thought he was fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, they instead they run Ford. Remember, Ford Ford loses to Carter. Right. I did not like Ford at all. I thought he was uh, the Ford presidency actually showers me on these sort of moderate Republicans. I I didn't see any kind of energy in Ford. Was and he a I, friend I, of the neocons? Uh, yeah, but you know, he just it, it, it was it was it was it was basically uh, you know Bush on steroids, and uh, there was there was. <clears throat> the Bush presidency looks like the Ford presidency. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, then you have like very uh, self-assertive feminists, including his wife, mm. Betty Ford. And uh, he just, uh, he doesn't seem to have any energy when it comes to opposing. By then, we saw the cultural left, you know. Right. <clears throat> Mostly in the form of feminism. Right. Uh, although some of the, you know, the blacks were becoming radicalized at the time too. But the feminists were the most obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, they, they they were opposed to ha letting um, uh, men have uh, men and women have uh, I don't know separate uh, events in high schools or college. <clears throat> they wanted women, everything to be integrated with women uh, or in men. And this and, and he 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 did he did go to some party for his daughter, which was just for women. And they complained about that. This was sort of the high point of his resistance to the feminist movement. <laughs> but I I think I think thereafter I sort of moved to the right. By 1980, I, you know, I, I, I was a strong Reagan supporter, but I had a um, an exaggerated view of how conservative Reagan was. Yeah, I think in a future episode, I want to get into Jimmy Carter and Reagan. Um, but one last question here. Do you think the conservative movement was healthier under Nixon or under Reagan? Oh, much healthier under Nixon. OK, uh, why, why is that? Um. Because they, they generally oppose Nixon from the right, particularly on domestic. You know, he's not doing this. He's not doing that, uh, which was all true. I mean, Re Reagan did, uh, rather, Nixon did very little to change the contours of 
domestic politics and he sort of landed up making some concessions to the civil rights movement in the form of uh, affirmative action in government contracts, the Philadelphia mm-hmm. plan. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you, you do have sort of the, even the beginning of affirmative action in a small way under, under, under Nixon. Um, uh, and conservatives were really angry at him. Although the neocons were angry because he was not standing up for human rights and global democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, were, they were angry for the wrong reasons. But, you know, you get cultural social conservatives who disliked uh, Nixon intensely. Once Eisenhower's there, supposedly our man was in power. Mm. So you weren't allowed to criticize him anymore. I don't think he was any better than Nixon, but you just weren't allowed to criticize him. Because Nixon is, you know, the fulfillment of everything we're waiting for for the last hundred years. Right. So um, he was given a pass no matter what he did. Mm-hmm. And most of what he did was either negligible or what the neoconservatives wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my last question would be, um, if, you had to, if you had to choose, did you like Nixon better as a president or Eisenhower? Oh, Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Was that because, uh, of, because the 50s were more preferable than the 70s? Yeah, or? They were preferable. <clears throat> um, and Eisenhower was much more conservative as president. Uh, on the other hand, I, th- I think that Nixon is a person of, of admirable intelligence, and I think he understood foreign policy very well. He was not, he didn't do very much that I favored domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I, can, I can respect him because I, I think he was, uh, he, was, he was a brilliant statesman. He just was in the wrong position as president. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think his relationship with Kissinger in China was healthy for the country? Yeah, or? I think it was fine. Okay. Uh, Kissinger always took credit for things which I think uh, was uh, was achieved by both of them, mm-hmm. and I think that you know that I, I think Nixon had at least the pull of the same level of political intelligence that you find in Kissinger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, I think that gets us through Nixon and uh, or yeah, that gets us through Ford, maybe. But next time we'll get into Carter and Reagan. But I appreciated right. your insights and reflections. Thank you, Paul. 